Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Episode 10! Yeah! Can't believe it. We started this podcast as a way to be generative in the midst of all this uncertainty, and we're happy to say that this joint creative endeavor has been amazingly satisfying. To celebrate this milestone, we have something special in store that we hinted at last week. Tessa, you want to tell us about that? Sure, I would love to. My first question, though, is the word celebratory... Or do you say celebratory? (laughs) I don't know that I say that word aloud very often. (laughs) So I looked this one up because I wasn't sure either. (laughs) And both pronunciations are correct. So So which do you prefer? I think celebratory. Okay, let's go with that. Yeah. So I just wanted to remind our listeners of the celebratory contest that we have going on this week. And you can get more details about this on our Facebook page. But we have one kind of contest called Share the Love, where we ask for your help to get our get the word out about our podcast. So this involves you liking and following our Facebook page, listening to an episode of our podcast, and commenting on the associated post on Facebook, sharing a post from our Facebook page on your own page, adding a review on our Facebook page, adding a rating and or review on our Apple Podcasts page, or writing an original post on the topic of and linking to our podcast. And each of these has a different number of entries associated with it. Um, and you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. Woot. Doesn't that sound celebratory to you? <laughs> or celebratory? <laughs> Both. <laughs> okay, so the other way to win is to enter our first line contest. So this is something I've been thinking about recently with a writing exercise that I'm doing, thinking about first lines and what makes the first line of a story memorable, engaging, makes you want to keep reading more. And so I am interested in your first lines of published works that you know are familiar with. You can share those with us. It can be fiction, nonfiction, magazine articles, cookbooks, music books, comic books, anything is fair game. We are interested in knowing what you think grabs the attention. And each person can submit up to five first lines from different books. And you can send those to us via email or via our Facebook messenger from our page. So this may be a little bit different than our focus on individual words and their meanings and histories, but in my opinion, it's definitely still about the power of words. Definitely. Yeah. So I just wanted to give you some examples that I found. Um, So here's one from the familiar Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. Where's Papa going with that axe? Said Fern to her mother as they were setting the table for breakfast. (laughs) That's the first line of that story. Yes. Very action-packed. There's the weapon of death involved. (laughs) We get to know a little bit about the characters all in that first sentence. This is another one from a book called The Borrowed House by Hilda Van Van Stockham. The barn smelled of stale hay, chicken droppings, and cabbage. It's very sensory-oriented. It brings you right into the senses of the setting. Uh, Here's another one. This is from Edgar Allan Poe, one of his short stories, and... 
I found that short stories have some really, really great first lines. This is one from his story called Silence, a Fable. Listen to me, said the demon, as he placed his hand upon my head. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't that just draw you right in? You want to know what is going on. It grabs you. Yeah. So instant questions about the characters and the plot. I want to know more. So this is kind of what we're looking for, something that grabs the attention. And when you send those to us, be sure to include the name of the author and the book where you got them from. Um, You must be a follower of our Facebook page to win. And as I said, you can send up to five first lines per person. And the deadline for that is midnight on Friday, June 5th, 2020, which is coming right up. The winner will be announced in episode 11 and on our Facebook page next Monday, June 8th. And the winner of each of these contests will win a $25 Amazon gift card. Nice. Excellent. Thank you. That's exciting. Um, I also want to mention that in case you didn't catch all of this audibly, like being spoken, you can also read about the contest rules on our Facebook page. Yes. Thank you. Catch up on that. Exactly. We can't wait to see what you all have to share with us. Thanks to everyone who supported us and let us know that our efforts have uplifted them as well. Listener Pam says, thanks for sharing the podcast. It is so great. I'm excited to listen. Your feedback means a lot to us, Pam. If any of you have feedback for us, you can reach us via email at ynfw at jamesbuck.org or via Facebook at facebook.com slash your new favorite word. Okay, on to the reason you're all here with us then. You're up first this week, Tessa. What have you got for us? Okay. Well, I've been thinking lately about a feeling that I've had of being a little bit off kilter. I don't know if you've ever had a feeling like that, but just all the stuff going on in the world these days. Yeah, totally. Just kind of... Off off balance. Yeah. Yeah. So not in perfect balance or askew is the official definition Mm. of off kilter, which can be physically, right? So... Something is positioned off kilter. Maybe um, the leg of a chair is shorter than the other legs and the chair is off kilter. Or it can be metaphorically. Uh, Mentally, we feel a little bit off kilter. It can also be someone that is a little bit eccentric or unconventional. So a little bit unbalanced in a mental sense. Or kooky is another (laughs) synonym I found for that. But my question was, why do we never find ourselves on kilter. Ooh, good question. <laughs> so I wanted to look up the word kilter itself and see if that was still in usage. And it is officially in the dictionaries still. Um, it was from the 1620s. Um, it's a variant of an English dialectical word kelter, K-E-L-T-E-R, instead of the K-I-L-T-E-R that we're used to. And it meant good condition or order. And it still does mean that. (laughs) But we just don't use it. (laughs) But before that, it's of unknown origin. So just some kind of slang term, perhaps, that they started using and it began to be more used. So like what, like how would that word be used, kelter? So we could say that something was in good kelter, meaning it's in good condition, in good order. So in, you know, top-notch a-okay condition. So like if we ask the kids if they've cleaned their rooms, we could say, are your rooms in good kelter? Yes, absolutely. Got it. 
Another uh, phrase that they used was in high kelter. <laughs> so, oh, I like that. Yes, me too. So very much in order, right? Um, everything's going my way. Everything's A-OK, right? Everything's in high kelter. Life is in high kelter. Yes. Isn't that fun? I like it. Um, or to get into kelter, which was my question. Was that ever a phrase? Yes, it was. We just don't hear it nowadays. Mm. So... Um, more recently, like so, since about the 1800s ish, um, only the negative used in that phrase "out of kilter" or "off kilter" mm-hmm. is generally used. So, being off kilter, some of the synonyms for that include cattywampus, <laughs> which is from one of our previous episodes, or lopsided, which could be another fun word to mm-hmm. research, topsy turvy, and cockeyed. So that was one that really captured my imagination, cockeyed. Why do we say that something is cockeyed? So askew or Mm -hmm. not quite balanced, right? So the the first part of that word, the root, is cock, meaning a rooster, right? And so the noun form of that, or the verb to cock means to stick up, to turn up, or to tilt. So there's a sentence that the OED gives us an example. He cocked up his head and he cocked up his wings and he cocked up his tail. <laughs> Talking about a rooster walking around with everything cocked. <laughs> so, and then we have eyed. So cock-eyed. So the eyes are cocked up or a little bit out of balance. They're on their own balance. Mm. They're not together. And so this reminded me of the pet rooster in the Disney's animated Moana. (laughs) So that was a funny image to go along with this idea of being cockeyed. So there are several definitions given for cockeyed. We're familiar with some, I'm sure. One of them is to be drunk or intoxicated. So someone who's been a little bit too much at the hooch. (laughs) So we discussed in another episode. It can mean literally cross-eyed. Um, it can mean sidelong or oblong, like a cockeyed glance. Oh, interesting. Yeah, someone gave you a little side eye, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a phrase that we Cockeyed. Yeah. Or topsy-turvy, absurd, or ridiculous. So a cockeyed story, something like that. So physically askew, crooked, not level, a slant, or a wry. And that led me to, this is my actual new favorite Phrase, I guess, based on cockeyed. This is an Australian slang term used in parts of Australia, at least. So they call a cyclone or a thunderstorm, especially one which is sudden and violent but short-lived, a cockeyed bob. (laughs) (laughs) Cockeyed bob, I love that. Yes. So colorful. It is. And this was an example sentence with that. Mr. Thompson has experienced several cyclones in the Northwest but describe the winds as being a cockeyed bob that came up suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) So great. So those are some new words for you to to use and new phrases. I love it. I'm definitely going to work on putting kelter into my vocabulary. (laughs) That's a fun one. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to that. Sure. So for mine, um, in 1954, American writer Sylvia Wright wrote an essay for Harper's Magazine. She described how her mother used to read poetry to her, including a 17th century ballad called The Bonnie Earl Amore. 
In particular, she recalls mishearing the last line of the following stanza. <laughs> ye highlands and ye lowlands, oh, where hae ye been? They slain the Earl More and laid him on the green. <laughs> You've heard this before. Yes. She misheard laid him on the green as Lady, Lady Mondegreen. <laughs> and uh, basically, she's the first one that coined that back in 1954. Okay. So in her essay, she stated that the point about what I shall hereafter call Mondegreen, since no one else has thought up a word for them, <laughs> is that they are better than the original. Way to coin <laughs> a term. I love it. Yes. Just like you mentioned before, right? Yes. So Mondegreen. Now, whether or not it's always the case that Mondegreens are better than the original is probably debatable, <laughs> especially in this day when there's like websites to, dedicated to collecting Mondegreens. You can get the whole gamut of useless Quality, and, yeah. and lame all the way up to hilarious. But the best Mondegreens, I think, are those that retain some degree of plausibility. This <laughs> is me speaking by my opinion. Like for years, I misheard... Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul, as give me the beach boys and free my soul. Wow. The beach boys sure do free your soul. I was very they? specific. I had strong opinions. Um, and one of our kids' favorite Mondegreens is a corruption of Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, becoming Hit Me With Your Pet Shark. And we cannot hear that song without singing that, that phrase now. But as hilarious as Mondegreens can be, what really fascinates me is why? Like, why do our brains do this thing where we hear the lyrics differently? Mm, good question. And primarily, we experience Mondegreens with music. Like, that's where a lot of them happen. Probably because of the timing and the different stress mm -hmm. that occurs in makes lyrics. Makes a lot of sense to me. There's the ambiguity that occurs there. But they occur all over, like in poetry. As in Sylvia Wright's example of mm -hmm. mishearing that line in poetry. But maybe metered speech or... Singing is more likely to do that. Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. I think so. It comes down to, in many ways, I think that human speech is this stream of continuous sound. Mm -hmm. We do not break in the middle. We don't say, we don't break in the middle, right? <laughs> it's this one long stream of sound. And if you're not familiar with the language that's being spoken, it's gibberish. I was going to say, we've experienced that, right? Going to another country and hearing native speakers, it's hard to know where one word ends and another begins. Exactly. When you first hear a native speaker speaking this language, even if you've studied it for a little bit, it is. It's like uh, they're not speaking the language I've been studying. <laughs> it's, it's completely foreign. And it's not until you have some experience with the language and you've heard it and really experienced it for some length of time consistently mm -hmm. that you start to be able to hear those word boundaries. And that can take quite a while. Mm -hmm. Language acquisition in young children actually has been studied to some degree to understand how this works and give some clue as to how Mondegreens occur in adults. Mm -hmm. um, there's a book that I really want to read now <laughs> called The Language Instinct, How the Mind Creates Language Ooh, by Steven it. Pinker. It really sounds fascinating. I've heard of Steven Pinker. I Have quoted you? him in a previous episode, well, I there think. You go. I, the name sounded familiar, so it wouldn't surprise me. But this book, we need to get for our bookshelf. <laughs> but he gave some examples, such as when told to behave, a child might respond, I am have. <laughs> <laughs> or if told they were going to go to Miami, they might petulantly respond with, but I don't want to go to your Miami. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of the example of cheese. Would you yes. like some cheese? 
Just one chi, please. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. From raising our own children, we've had several examples. For instance, our daughter Kay, remarking on her sticky hands when she was little, said, Sticky Ick-O-Rama. <laughs> and her younger brother B said, I'm a sticky grandma too. <laughs> or the time when Kay ran in from outside and said, Mom, Dad built us a popsicle course. <laughs> Meaning, of course, obstacle course. And then there was the time that our daughter P wanted to make a lemonade standard, <laughs> which I fully supported because there's all kinds of shoddy lemonade out there. We really need to raise the bar. But And I'm sure you parents out there have all kinds of examples of, of crazy mondegreens that your children have come up with. Please <laughs> definitely share those with us. We would love to hear them. Um, if you're interested in the why behind mondegreens and like why our brains do this and how language happens, there's an excellent article on the New Yorker website from 2014 by Maria Konakova called Excuse Me While I Kiss This Guy, <laughs> which is itself a famous mondegreen of Jimi Hendrix's line, Excuse Me While I Kiss the Sky. <laughs> she discusses the phenomenon really well and gives lots of examples and factors that come into this. But, Excellent. Uh, like, for instance, she mentions oronyms and the McGurk effect and cohort models wow. and all kinds of stuff. It was really pretty fascinating. But... Because each of these is a rabbit hole in and of itself. <laughs> I'm not going to go into them right now. I'll try and hit on the, some of them in later episodes, but uh, we'll put a link to that article in the, the show notes so that you can read those if you'd like. Um, it's also been studied in scholarly venues as well, unsurprisingly. Linguists love these things. They do. Anything to do with <laughs> language. And not only is it studied directly, but it's also studied as kind of a side effect of other phenomenon. Hmm. Uh, just the titles of some of these articles, I'm just going to name a few. There's <laughs> one article called It's Not Easy Being Mondegreen. <laughs> this one was fascinating. Preserving subsegmental variation in modeling word segmentation <laughs> or the raising of baby mondegreen. <laughs> and then this one sounds interesting too. Hearing Japanese words in English songs, mondegreen phenomenon by non-native listeners. Oh. And uh, just the abstract I read of that one talked about how um, Japanese, native Japanese speakers who are learning English, or not even heard, learn, learning English, but listening to English music, mm -hmm. will hear Japanese words in the lyrics. It's what your brain is programmed for, right? That's what the patterns it's searching for. You hear those patterns, you look for them, yeah. you find them. Exactly. It's so fascinating. And the same thing happens to me if I'm listening to a song, like, um, what's that Spanish one that was like La Bamba? Mm. Listening to La Bamba when I was in high school, I heard all kinds of English words in there, <laughs> even though it was Spanish, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a really fascinating phenomenon, just your brain's <laughs> desire to latch on to recognizable patterns. Absolutely. A pattern-seeking machine. It is, and it is so good at what it does, but it is so easily fooled as well. <laughs> So what are your favorite Mondegreens, listeners? If there is there a song or phrase that you once misheard, please do tell. We'd love to hear them. Yeah, thank you so much, Jameis. That was a really fun topic. And thank you, listeners. Don't forget to enter one or both of our contests. Check out our Facebook page for those details again. We will be back next week when we will announce our winners. We're so excited for that. And as always, we would love to hear from you. And let us know what's your new favorite word.